I pray for your wisdom, your strength, your ability to flow freely, O oh Lord. So this book reading be a blessing to somebody, whatever it is heard, O oh Lord. Let it be a blessing, encouragement, inspiration. In the name of Jesus, amen. How the Lord brought me to California the second time. My desire after graduation from seminary was to stay working for three more months, prepare for the wedding, be married by the end of August, and then go to any place the president of the concilium will send us. When the president interviewed me before the graduation, he asked me what my plans were. I told him what my plans were. He immediately told me that my plans were not a good idea because it will be dangerous in not following God's right away. Besides, he had a church in Brownsville, Texas waiting for me. He mentioned that he was returning back to Texas a day or two after graduation and that he wanted me to go with him. I did not know how to break the news to Armida. We together had made our plans. I had enough time to notify my place of employment of my change of plans and to speak to Armida about my decision to go to Brownsville. She was a little upset and after talking it over she agreed with my decision. The graduation was on Saturday, May 25th, 1957. My brother Elias, who had been assigned a church in Colorado, and I left with President Guillen on Tuesday morning, May 28th, and was installed as pastor of the church on June 4th. The summer of 1957 was an exciting time in my life. I had plans for marriage and an experience of a new church in Brownsville. Then something unexpected happened. I was in Brownsville about two or three weeks when the president called me to tell me that he needed me to go to San Antonio and give a revival at Bethel Church. He said that he had planned that all the churches in the city of San Antonio start revival services that will last at least two weeks to four if necessary. It lasted four weeks. Night after night, I preached. It was my first experience in trying to function as an evangelist, and I think I did a well enough work for the expectation the leaders had placed on me. I stayed in San Antonio all the month of July. Many people were saved, some filled with the Holy Spirit, some healed, and new people were added to the local church. Financially, I had received good offerings from the church where I preached in San Antonio and the tithes of the church in Brownsville. Besides, when they installed me as pastor in Brownsville, they gave me the tithes 
accumulated while waiting for me. It helped me to have the money I would have earned if I had stayed in Los Angeles working during the summer. The congregation of the church in Brownsville was small, maybe 30 members, but they loved me. The church house was behind the building, a simple house with one bedroom and kitchen. I thought it was adequate for us, especially for me who was not accustomed to much. It had no inside running water or plumbing. The toilets and shower were outside. There was no water heater, but one was installed in the first few months after we moved in. All the money that I had saved for the wedding and what the Lord had provided during the summer was gone by the third or fourth week after Armida and I arrived in the early part of September. We bought all that we could to make the house livable and settle down to live and minister to the Lord. We were young in Armida with her music and singing abilities quickly made an impact on the people and I loved it. The church never paid me more than $15 a week. Whatever the people gave us the tithes was for the support of the pastor. I felt bad when at first I did not have enough money to take my wife out to eat at least every week or two. But sometimes in the middle of October, the president called me and said that he needed me to take an extra responsibility and to accept the position of general treasurer in the church's headquarter there in Brownsville. What the leaders of the ministry had reported about me and what he had observed in me led him to believe that I was the right person for that particular position. With a little help and wise coaching from the secretary, Sister Conchita Villagomez, and a great effort and work on my part, I was able to do the work adequately. The pay was $50 a week, which was about half of what I was making working in California but it was a tremendous help. After two years, in September 1959, to be exact, the president spoke to me of the need he had of me to become the pastor of the Mother Church of the Concilio, Bethel Church in Houston. He told me of the divisions and problems the church was going through but he felt that I was the person to take over. I did not really want to take the church, but it was very difficult to say no to the president. Besides, we were trained to obey the orders or suggestions of the president. Say no was not an option. My wife and I agreed that since she was expecting our second child, the move to Houston created a hardship on her condition and that it will be better for her to go back to California 
and have the child there. I moved to Houston in the middle of September, pulling everything we already had accumulated in a rented trailer behind an old 1949 Buick that my brother Josue had given me. The car barely made it to the driveway of the church house. There the car just stopped, and the mechanics who saw it agreed that it was useless to repair it. The church indeed was divided, and some accepted me, but others just observed what I was going to do. Several prominent pastors had been there in the previous four to five years, and all had been released or had resigned. Among them were Sergio Rodriguez, Daniel Moreno, and Mike Garza. All were in their mid-forties and up with extensive pastoral or ministerial experience. I was 22. I do not think I was ever prepared for a church with such problems, problems that were magnified due to the hard line the Concilio had taken in dealing with controlling pastors, ministers, and members of the congregation. When I brought Armida back from California with a new baby in the new car the Lord had given me, I looked better with my wife. She was very positive as we started to work in the church. We began to have some success and some new problems. By the time of early spring 1961, the problems now were more ministerial than church problems. There were some politics in which Presbyter Pedro Pais suspected me of doing wrong in conducting my ministry work in the church. My life and ministry has always been characterized by the self-made men and decision-making since I was very young. I was accused of being too independent, not consulting with a presbyter, being proud and ungrateful, and probably plotting evil against the concilio. I had given my life, myself, my devotion, and my all to serve God and the church I had been assigned. In my innocence, I tried to be a pastor and pray for God's guidance when leading the church, but was greatly misinterpreted. When I realized the accusations were serious, and all thought I knew I had not done any wrong, I apologized to the presbyter, who was suspecting me of the worst. My apologies were accepted, but nothing really changed. By this time, the climate was poison against me. I was the worst time of my life, and the way I was treated by the organization and by few in the church who maliciously reported everything to the presbyter. The church was doing very well 
But my problems were not with the church. It was with some of the leaders of the district who did not trust me anymore. The summer of 1961 was very bitter and sad. I was only 24 years of age, and my wife and I were expecting our third child, Paul. July and August were very difficult months. After two weeks since the birth of my son, Paul, I was put in a position of answering yes or no to attempted proposals of the administration in which the ministry was divided. The questions were directed to me personally to answer yes or no. I gave a diplomatic answer and not a straight no, expecting others to speak as they had told me they would. I was left alone by the ministers who had confided a no position to. I was verbally assaulted in the presence of all, called derogatory names, and threatened with taking this accusation with higher authority and to defend myself against this false and unproven accusation. This meeting happened in Fort Worth, Texas, at about the last Saturday of September. After that Saturday night meeting, I started going back to Houston. It was the loneliest night I ever had because of ministry. I felt clean and innocent of all charges hurdled against me and was deeply hurt by the harshness and meanness of the treatment I received. When I came back home to my wife, I told her what had happened and that I probably had to resign as pastor and go back to California to heal from my emotional devastation and that I will take a year off and then take another church in some other area less controversial. I was committed to God and I did not know of any other place or wanted to know of any other place to serve God than in this organization, the Concilio. In the next few days, October 3, to be exact, the president had been called, and he came to Houston to see what was going on. I talked to the president immediately after he came. He heard me as we talked about for 30 minutes. But without any hesitation, he sided with the presbyter and defended him. I then told him what my plans will be in view of his siding with the presbyter. He accepted my resignation and asked me how much time I needed. I told him that Sunday, October 8, will be my last day. I felt that from Tuesday to Sunday I will be ready to pack everything and leave by Monday the 9th back to Los Angeles with my wife and my three boys, David, Jonathan, and Paul. I said goodbye and I thanked the President. In return he wished us well in our travel 
and it was the last time I saw him as my president. Unknown to me, an order was issued to all churches along the way from Houston to California not to receive me if I stopped. In California, all the churches were also closed to me. I still was a credentialed minister on my way to rest and recuperation. I had pledged the president and he accepted that I will be ready to serve as pastor again in a year. When we arrived at my wife's parents' home, they received us and made us comfortable after a long journey. Then my mother-in-law, Licia, asked me what had happened. I told her the story and that the next day I will be reporting to the local presbyter that I was in town and ready to help in anything I could and that I will be ready to take a church in a year. She heard me and then she asked me again, give me the real reason why you resign. I started to repeat my story and she stopped me. She said, you must have done something terribly bad because for what you are telling me, they will not close the churches to you. My mother-in-law was a very strong and faithful leader in the church for many years. She told me and my wife that she had been told by her pastor, Guadalupe Armendariz, that there was an order from the president issued by the presbyter in Houston that no churches were to receive me. I was devastated, hurt, angry, and confused, and the whole world was coming apart for me. Since I had been in headquarters in Brownville, I knew what an order like that meant. I stayed home without going to any church. I found work in the same week I arrived and stayed in my wife's parents' house. I was hurt, distrustful of all, and did not know what would be next. I sometimes believe my trouble started by my rapid rise in the ministry after graduation from seminary. It was a rise in position that I never asked or desired. Things and position I did not really want landed on my lap without seeking them. First, I was a seminary graduate of a class of about eight students. The ministerial body was composed with not many having been to seminary. Second, it seemed that I was close to the president. He drove me in his car from California to Brownsville. Third, I was given the title and position of general treasurer of the concilio at the age of 20. Fourth, I was fully ordained to the ministry at the age of 21 without really asking for it. I was recommended and approved, I guess because I was the general treasurer. 
and fifth at the age of 22 I was assigned the first church of the concilio it will be that in the eyes of some I did not deserve it the Lord took me to Texas and let me pass through some unimaginable trials and experiences to test and prepare me while I was young. Through these experiences, God gave me a new ministry, a new church, and revival in my ministry, and a church that I probably could never have been prepared for if I had not been taken out by the Lord in the way and manner that he did.